The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Now listen to you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, we'll make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Okay, we're going to, before I continue, I want, I want all of you to look at that. How many of you thought that was a misprint? Thank you, thank you. You thought that was supposed to read in the midst of life, right? James says you are a mist. He's talking about us. That appears for a little while and then we vanish. I mean, he describes our lives kind of like a dense Puget Sound fog. I, I love a dense Puget Sound fog when I'm, you just, you enter it and, and it's like everything disappears. You hear the fog horns warning ships and, and cars, we, we creep to a crawl. It's like, the whole world is just shrouded in this mist, this fog. And then the sun comes out and it warms up the earth and it pierces the fog, it dissipates it, and the fog disappears. Just like that, it's gone, like there was never any fog. What was so dense and impenetrable, the fog, it's just poof like that, it's, it's gone. Just kind of like a kettle on the on the stove it's, as it's boiling and the vapor's rising and you turn it off and it's gone. And James says, that's our lives. What we put so much importance into what we're doing and the relationships we're building and the things that we're accomplishing, James says, just like fog or a mist, just poof. They're gone. So as we're here this morning, we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. I just want to warn you as we look at it, you know, the first half of this sermon, you're going to be really depressed, okay? <laughs> well, we'll keep it to maybe the first third. And, and then we're, because we're going to say, as the teacher, as is described in Ecclesiastes, is you know, talking about one thing after another, we come and it's like, what's the point? <laughs> uh, meaningless, emptiness, uh, depending on your translation, it, it's all emptiness. I mean, let's, if we can look at chapter one, verse two, this is how really the book is summarized. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. And we don't want to close in prayer right now, right? (laughs) 
But that, that's, that's the summary of the teacher. And there's guesses at who this is. I, I think it's Solomon who's writing the book, who is called the wisest man on the face of the earth. I mean, he held nothing back. He had everything. He had everything anybody could ever want. He didn't refuse himself anything. And at the same time, he was this incredibly wise person. And he comes towards the end of his life, and this is his summation. <laughs> as he experimented and as he tried and as he pursued, he says, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So the question this morning as we kind of work through the book is, how do we find meaning in the mist of life, in the fog of life, which, as is described, it's like, that's our lives. They're here, and then they're gone, and, and where's the meaning? And this is the big idea that we're going to come to after you're, like, on the brink of despair. It's three things that we're going to look at. It's just that enjoy life as a gift from God, Enjoy life as a gift from God. Keep eternity in mind and trust God to make things right. Okay? Just, we're going to come back to those. But first, we want to kind of backtrack and say, why is everything meaningless? And so we're going to plow into this book a little bit and see why the writer says that everything's meaningless. And the first, as we're going to look at Ecclesiastes 1, 3 to 11, it's that people move on. Just think about why is everything meaningless? It's people move on. Notice, it says, why do people, what do people gain from all their labors? And realize, he's, he's at the end of his life, he's tried everything, and so he's very pessimistic, okay? Just very pessimistic. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and then it turns to the north and round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. See, it's just this cycle. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. And then verse 11, notice it says, no one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. And, and you might think, oh, that's not true. But just think of that for a second. No one remembers the former generations. Maybe a little bit, but it slips away. Even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. So we're going to test you, okay, on that. Who won the NBA championship two days ago? Okay, good. Golden State Warriors. If you didn't know that, now you're glad you came. You know that, right? Ten years ago, who won the NBA championship? Anybody? 
Nope, not the Lakers. Oh, good job. There's a basketball player. <laughs> you probably know all these answers. Okay. Do you know who won 20 years ago? You're right, the Bulls. Very good. <laughs> okay. Still true. <laughs> okay. For you guys to think you're so smart. Okay. <laughs> what was the last horse to, to win the Triple Crown? Meaning they won the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont Stakes. The last horse to win the Triple Crown. What? It was yesterday. <laughs> Justify yesterday won the Triple Crown. Okay? In case you didn't know that. The horse before that, the previous horse, it wasn't that one, the previous horse. All right, good job. <laughs> oh, I'm giving you guys the easy ones. Okay? We're getting to stuff that's way more important. How many of you wash your hair? Well, don't tell me, okay? I don't know. Okay. Who invented shampoo? I mean, this is important. I mean, probably two-thirds of us wash our hair. The rest, <laughs> the rest of you are sitting by your... No, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> anybody know who invented shampoo? I mean, this is something... a good guess. Um, it was Hans Schwarzkopf. Yeah, yeah. 1927. Yeah, this is where, yeah, this is hitting home now, right? Yeah. I mean, shampoo is important, and you guys don't even care about who invented it. Now, even, even more important than that, the ice cream cone, right? The ice cream cone, I mean, anybody know who invented the ice cream cone? You guys should be ashamed of yourselves or never eat one again. Nin uh, 1896, Italo, I'm not sure how to pronounce the, uh, Marcioni, yeah, 1896. Okay, one more, and this one everybody should know. Who invented the telephone? Say it a little louder. Yeah, yeah, good job. Daniel's getting on. He's, it, you, it's not Alexander Graham Bell. It's not. I'm sorry. Your history books. In, eight, in 1876, Alexander Graham Bell did a caveat, I mean, an intention to, um, for an invention of the telephone the same day, but about two hours later, Elisha Gray presented a caveat. The same day, both guys, Alexander Greenbill and Elisha Gray, uh, presented to the patent office an intention uh, for, uh, to invent the telephone. But interestingly enough, 27 years before that, Antonio Meucci did a caveat for the invention of the telephone. The exact same thing, 27 years before. But he was so poor, he wasn't able to renew 
the caveat and never got credit for the invention that Alexander Graham Bell got 27 years later. It's, it's interesting, you know, how, I mean, we could say, think of your family history. What do you remember of your grandfather? I mean, some of us are really into that. But you're remembering family history, your grandfather, your grandfather. What about your great-great-grandmother or your great-great-great-grandfather? I mean, the reality is, in time, no one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. How long will it be before your accomplishments and mine are forgotten? People move on. Our lives, our memories, really are like a mist, like fog. The second reason, Ecclesiastes 2, 1 to 3, we're going to start, is that why is everything meaningless? It's because nothing lasts. Nothing lasts. And just a cap, we're just going to just get a snippet of this from Ecclesiastes. If you read it through, all in one sitting, you will be totally depressed. <laughs> because nothing lasts. Notice, the teacher says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. And he did. He, he tried everything. He was the wealthiest man. He had a thousand wives and concubines. He had build. He had everything. But notice it said, that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, meaning he was trying to think through this whole process. Even he was doing it. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. And, and we know just from reading the news, when you read it, how empty the pursuit of pleasure is, how like a mist it is. It might be thrilling and exciting for a brief moment, but it leaves leaves us so empty if that's our pursuit. I mean, we see that in the news from the, the people that seem to have it all and they commit suicide because it's, it's, it's emptiness. But he goes on in uh, Ecclesiastes, going back to one, notice, but it's not just pleasure. The teacher says, I, I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after wind, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief. And so it's not just pleasure and the pursuit of pleasure that leaves us empty, but even the pursuit of wisdom and the pursuit of knowledge, because there's still more to learn. And, and, we, and when we learn, there's somebody that, that knows more than us, and, and, and it still doesn't leave us satisfied. Ecclesiastes 2, accomplishments. No, he said, I undertook great projects. I built houses and vineyards. I made gardens and parks. I planted all kinds of fruit trees. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing, flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves 
and had other slaves who were born in my house. I owned herds and flocks more than anyone in Jerusalem before me. He amassed silver and gold, the treasure of kings and provinces, male and female singers, a harem, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And in all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet looking at all of his accomplishments, his wisdom, his pl- all of it, everything that his hands had done, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Does anyone remember that I was the uh, captain of the national quiz all-star team? I mean, does anybody remember that I ran a four-minute mile? That I, um, what did I write down here? (laughs) 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 That I was the number one singles player on South Kitsap's tennis team? that I was voted most likely to succeed in high school? Well, two of those are true and two are false. (laughs) But according to Ecclesiastes, who knows or who cares? (laughs) Because generations come and generations go. Nothing lasts. People move on. It's all a mist. And, And where in the midst of the mist is their meaning? A couple more things, Ecclesiastes 2, 12 through 16. He says, I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom, madness, folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fools walk in the darkness. He's not saying that there's no difference between wisdom and folly, but they're both a mist. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. And I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise like the fool will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. You know the saying, there's two things that are certain, guaranteed, taxes and dying. <laughs> yeah. It's our lives are a mist. We're all going to die. And then the last one, which might be the hardest for some of us, as we go to Ecclesiastes 2.17. It's that everything we work for, everything we do, everything we pursue, and we die, then, then what? Not only... Are we not remembered eventually? I mean, like you didn't remember who made the ice cream cone, yeah? But what's left, we have no control over. Maybe these, these things that are so important that we pour so much into, we have no control over what will happen to them. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of its meaninglessness, chasing after the wind, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over the fruit of my toil 
into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. I mean, this too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Are you depressed enough to move on? Okay. <laughs> that's, that's the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's important, as, as important as, as one of the verses, I think the verse that I remember the most of any verse in Ecclesiastes is the one that says it's more valuable to go to a house of mourning than it is to a house of rejoicing because we get perspective there's perspective at a funeral at a memorial because it makes us think wow has this been worth it was there meaning to this what now is there anything else and so the value of the book of Ecclesiastes it makes us seriously wrestle with is there meaning in the midst of of life in, in, in all these things that we've talked about. And the good news is, yes. <laughs> and so we're going to, again, the big idea is enjoy life as a gift from God. Live for eternity and trust that God does right. The first one is, how do we find meaning in the midst of life? And we're going to just, it's all captured in these Ecclesiastes 3, 10 through 17. The first one is, know that this isn't all there is. This striving. Uh, and, and for some of you this morning, you might have come this morning depressed, and hopefully you'll end plus depressed as we move forward. Or you might have come thinking everything's hunky-dory, and then you realize, well, maybe, yeah, it's just passing. And um, is that meaning is realizing, number one, that this isn't all there is. These 30, 40, 90, my mom will be 93 next month. <laughs> How many years God gives? This isn't all there is. Uh, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And skip down to 14. He says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. That's a great phrase. I, there's, a, there's a book out there called um, Eternity in Their Hearts. I think that's what it's called. It's a mission, a missionary story. And it's, it's an incredible story how this uh, missionary researched tribes around the world, remote tribes, and found out that in every one of those tribes, and this, I think it's, it's helpful to some of you who struggle with, well, what about the people who have never heard? And it's just this incredible research this missionary found that remote tribes, how God has put in everyone eternity in their hearts. 
um, and understanding through, through stories, through uh, objects in those tribes that God has put uh, in every one of us eternity. God, this isn't all there is. God has made us eternal beings. This isn't all there is. This mist, these things called our lives that are, that are passing away, for some of us sooner, for some of us longer, there, there's more, there's eternity. First um, Corinthians fifteen nineteen. in the midst of this, the chapter on the resurrection, there's a phrase there that is so important that, that hits right on this. It says, um, if we have hoped in Christ for this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Isn't that interesting? If, if you are hoping for Christ only in this life, you're to be pitied. And why is that? Because that means that you're trying to get everything you can out of this life and it's going to keep you from li- really living for Jesus. <laughs> because you're going to be trying to get the most comfort and the most convenience and the most that you can out of this life realizing that, thinking that this is all there is and you've got to go for the gusto when this isn't all there is. There's eternity. And that's why a missionary could say, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep in this life, maybe even sacrificing our lives to gain what can't be lost, what isn't amissed, which is eternity. This isn't all there is. Uh, God has made us eternal beings uh, John 3.16 says, you know, God loved this world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. Um, How do we find meaning in the midst of life? By knowing that this isn't all there is. God has made us for eternity. The second thing is, as we keep reading... Oh, let's go back to, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, Verse 12. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of us, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. And that, that phrase is repeated about a half dozen times in the book of Ecclesiastes, this is the gift of God. If we can go to, to, to the next one, um, uh, 5, 18 to 20. Notice it says, that this is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. And I think one of the reasons it says few days when a few days might be for some of us lots of years, but in terms of eternity, it's just, it's just a mist. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. It's a gift of God. And then 8, 14, and 15... There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous 
who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. And we'd say that's meaningless. I mean, we see that, don't we? So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all of the days of the life God has given them under the sun. Know that this isn't all there is and, and enjoy life as a gift from God. See, I'm not saying like, like the teacher did, tried to pursue pleasure like crazy to find meaning and pleasure. It's not, it's, it's finding in life, enjoying life as a gift from God, whatever God gives. Um, Cindy's a great example of this. Um, as we were out running, that might be generous, maybe sauntering or something, <laughs> a couple of days ago, um, and we were, we were running, and I realized she wasn't there. And, of course, it's because I was so fast, but not really. Uh, she caught up with me and said, I smelled honeysuckle, and I just had to stop. <laughs> um, enjoy life as a gift from God. Live in the present. Whatever God gives, and... and you know, let's be honest, all gifts aren't as exciting as others, right? Um, I never really got excited when my parents gave me underwear or socks, you know, for Christmas or my birthday. But they're both important, right? Uh, as, well as, as well as the toys or the objects or the things that we want. Um, enjoy life as a gift from God. What a difference to see life, the good and the hard, as a gift. Remember the song we sang, you are good, <laughs> good, oh, you're good. That, that whatever God brings our way, the good and the hard, we see as gifts from him versus obligations or tasks or obstacles or things we have to plow through that we we see life as a gift from God and we enjoy. We not only look forward to eternity, but we live in the present, enjoying the gifts that God has given us. Um, kind of like the song when I'm not behaving very well to my wife and she, uh, she uh, lovingly says something to me and then I sing one of my favorite songs, at least the chorus. It says, I'm not a problem, I'm a possibility. You ever heard that one? <laughs> that, that whatever God brings our way, they're gifts from the hand of a good God. To see steak and spinach equally as gifts from God. The weeds in our gardens as much as the string beans and the lettuce and the peas, they're all gifts from God. Um, and then the last thing, Ecclesiastes, back to chapter 3, verse 15. Thank you. Notice it says, whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. 
And I said to myself, God will bring into judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time to judge every deed. Not only knowing that this isn't all there is, that God has made us eternal beings, enjoying life as a gift from God, but also trusting God to make things right. Trusting God to make things right, that he is the just judge. And the very end, and we go to chapter 12, the, the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, this is how it ends. It says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Trust God to make things right. Um, life is a mist. It's like a Puget Sound fog. And, and, and in the midst of that fog, it can seem so futile, can it seem at times? Um, you get up to work the same job every day in order to pay the same bills that you pay all the time in order to live in the same place, um, in order to have somewhere to sleep, in order to work the same job to pay the same bills. <laughs> I mean, life can seem, if you stop and think about it, seem pretty futile. As the teacher says, pretty meaningless. And when it's all over, what will have been the point? What's the meaning in the mist? I think three things. Remember, God put eternity in your hearts. You are an eternal being. <laughs> he made you to live forever. This isn't all there is. Live for eternity. But in living for eternity, enjoy life now as a gift from God also. Whatever he brings. Don't be just pursuing wisdom or accomplishments or pleasure, but be pursuing him and, and enjoying what he brings into your life. Number three, because you know that you can trust him. He is good. He's good. He's good. And he will make all things right. The things that don't make sense, the things that are confusing, the things he will make all things right. He is a just and good God. Let's pray. Father, if we focus on this life, it can seem futile, it can seem meaningless, it can seem empty, frustrating, or maybe we're on a high. Maybe there's those here today that are on a high and everything just seems incredible and amazing. But Father, the reality is, is life is a mist. <laughs> and uh, what seems incredible today, can the bottom can fall out tomorrow. God, help us not to live for our accomplishments or the pursuit of pleasure or the pursuit of knowledge. Father, help us to be people that live for you, that kind of like the teacher summarizes, fears you, fear you, that live in awareness of you, our lives fixed on you, and, and the gifts you're giving us now and the eternity that you have for us. God, open our eyes to see you, 
and to pursue you with all of our beings. In Jesus' name, amen.